Podcast City Network. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Everett Lee Show. A shot of entertainment to the head. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the entertainment. Welcome, everyone, to the Everett Lee Show podcast. I am Everett Lee. Quick shout-out to all my followers on Twitter. You can follow me at the Everett Lore Score Lee, Facebook.com slash the Everett Lee. Click that thumbs up. And, of course, Podcast City Network, the official host of the Everett Lee Show. You can check out the Everett Lee Show and many, many, much more shows on PodcastCity.net. Podcast City Network on Facebook, Facebook.com, Podcast City Network. Hit that thumbs up. And, of course, on Twitter, at Podcast City Net. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am back again for another week with another guest that will knock it out of the park tonight on the program. I have a quite a bit to talk with with my guest. Chris Carnage, my co-host, was supposed to jump on. However, he got called into work. Chris, I know you're listening. We're going to listen back to this podcast. Miss you, but we'll get you on here next week. And, of course, shout out to David C. Russell and Robin Nilsson. Robin Nilsson, a Russell podcast, and David C. Russell, a Deathmatch Russell podcast. And, of course, tonight, everything is brought to you by PodcastCity.net. You can head over to PodcastCity.net and check out Sports Sanity Customs. If you want a Podcast City Network t-shirt, head over to Sports Sanity Customs. They will hook you up with a t-shirt on SportsSanityCustoms.com. City Limits Tap Room in Deland, Florida, home of Draft Day and Podcast City Network. Head over to City Limits Tap Room in Deland, Florida for a wide selection of brew on tap. Food menu with grilled cheese is excellent. And, of course, a wide selection of TVs, indoor and outdoor stage in the back for live events and much, much more at City Limits Tap Room in Deland, Florida. And, of course, Atlantic Sound Records. Head over to Atlantic Sound Records on International Boulevard in Daytona Beach if you're looking for that final CD and cassette that you've lost at one time. They may have it. So hit them up on Facebook. Atlantic Sound Records. And if you're looking to book that destination to get away from it all, hit Telltale Travel on PodcastCity.net. Hit up Brittany Emler, and she will hook you up with that destination to get away from it all. And it's all brought to you by PodcastCity.net. Well, you know what? I think we need some music for our guest, man. You're going to love this, ladies and gentlemen. You're definitely going to love this right here. We're going to crank it to 11. You hear that? American Meg. That's right. He sure does, ladies and gentlemen. He certainly was. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the program the true master of wrestling ring music, 
please welcome Hurricane J.J. McGuire. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, Everett. Hi, everybody. It is me. Let's give you you may not know it, but now you know it now, brothers and sisters. I am the true master of wrestling ring music, along with my great partner, and you all know him well and probably better than me, but Jimmy, the mouth of the South heart. We go way, way back, brothers and sisters, to the Gentries. We were a hit group in the Gentries and the top 10 records back in the day in the 70s and the late 60s. But brothers and sisters, oh, wow. Have I got a lot to talk about tonight. Oh, yeah. So here we go. What do you want to know? Well, you caught me off guard right there. I love it. <laughs> I definitely love <laughs> okay, it, man. Good. That's, uh, that's what I live for. <laughs> I, I know. I definitely do love it. I definitely do love it, man. Well, <laughs> let me ask you first off, how you been? Oh, I've been great. Thanks a lot. I, I never felt better in my whole life. I lost 40 pounds here a little while back, and I'm, I either feel like a new man or an old woman. I can't tell which. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. I do have some questions for you tonight. I do have quite a bit I want to ask you about your life growing up and to where it got you to where you're at right now. So the first question I want to ask you is, how was it growing up in Somerset, Kentucky? Fabulous. It was really like a dream come true. Uh, it, it was a. It's a rural town, but it's on the lake. Cumberland up here in Kentucky, and we're, uh, we have over 1,500 miles of shoreline on this uh, lake up here, and uh, <clears throat> it's really, it, it's like I say, it's a vacation town, so early on, I got in a group called the Sounds Unlimited, and uh, we played, uh, we wound up being Kentucky's number one prom uh, band in those years. That was in the mid to later 60s. We, when I started out with them, we did soul music. You didn't have heavy music just yet. But just a couple, of few years later, here came the heavy stuff, and so we switched over from all soul review to uh, doing the Doors and doing Jimi Hendrix and the Who and whatever. We did a, a, a blend of every type of music, so we were real popular because we did a wide variety of you know styles of music that that suited everybody's taste at the time. Oh, nice, nice. The 60s was a really good time for music, man. So much com- going going on with music on the music scene, and it was such a really, really good time. Yes, it was. And it was, you, you had to play your own instrument. No, You couldn't take a computer and push an auto-fix button like today. But, you know, you had to really learn to do what you were doing, and you had to do it well, or you didn't have a chance. I'm not saying that people today can be sorry and make it big, but there are some sorry artists that are pretty big. But, you know, technology has made a, a, a big super jump since those times. You know, I've been through it all. I started out on analog tape and made my way all the way through that jungle, all the way up into the digital jungle. So, uh, but I do wish that uh, on our uh, wrestling theme music that we wound up doing, and I did, uh, I wish that we would have had digital technology because the quality now is, is at a high level and so forth. And some of the stuff, you know, back then was kind of rough and raw, but that kind of made the sound. If you listen to the 60s music, you can hear that roughness and rawness in it, but the content in, of the material was seemed to be re- pretty superior, I always thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just that with the recording and everything and how everything came along and stuff with with the recording and just the 
analog and stuff it was it was just a really great time with a lot of artists and stuff coming out and so being in the gentries you pretty much you and uh, jimmy hart pretty much opened and traveled across the uh, across the country yes we did we 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 traveled i told someone the other day they showed a picture uh, i believe uh uh robin Nelson, a good friend of ours, had a picture on Facebook of Earl Hebner. And I said, if I had a dollar for every road trip that I've traveled with Dave and Earl Hebner and Jimmy Hart and myself in a car, uh, I wouldn't have enough time to count my money. <laughs> that is awesome, man. I love that. I love that. I definitely <laughs> do love that. And being a musician and getting in the music, what was some of your... Um, what was some of your earlier musical influences that made you want to pick up an instrument and play? Well, uh, I guess I was probably about three years old or something and it's Christmas time. And so I crawled over there or whatever I did, I guess I was walking for sure by then, but I got up <laughs> on the piano bench and I started playing silent night and everybody dropped everything they were doing, came running into the living room and thought, who's playing the piano? And it was me. And so they were pretty flabbergasted at that. That's a good word from the past, isn't it? And uh, so immediately my mother said, you know, he's got something here beyond the norm. We better get him into formal training. Well, nobody would take me on uh, because they wanted, at that time they wanted you to be five years old uh, before you would start taking the formal piano lessons. So, but anyway, I finally got in there at four, at four and three quarters. Uh, a woman finally said, normally don't do it, but Jim's advanced, so uh, we'll take him in and we'll see what we have. So immediately, I started studying classical music. <clears throat> so uh, I played the, all the classical music from age five all the way up until I was in uh, uh, seventh grade because that's when the Sounds Unlimited came to me and asked me if I'd like to get out of uh, classical music and get into pop music. And I said, hmm. well, sure, yeah, I'd give that a stab, I guess. Why not? And uh, so I went over to the audition. They were actually called the Undertakers to start with. Yeah. And uh, I, so I said, I tell you, I, I like the band, and y'all, they were very talented, and they all had musical backgrounds, and most of the guys in the band. And I said, but there's only one problem. I don't like that name, the Undertakers. Uh, the drummer rode up to the garage that we were practicing in that I auditioned in on his banana seat bicycle, and he'd taken a magic marker and drawn the undertakers on that banana seat. And so I said, uh, if you're willing to change the name, I'll join. So they said, okay, genius, so think something up. And so I said, okay, how about the um, unlimited sounds? Mm -hmm. And then one of the guys said, wait a minute, how about the sounds unlimited? And so then they changed the name, and then that's where it all started for me. And uh, like I say, we went on from there and, and did quite well. We won all the fairs uh, here in Kentucky that we played, and uh, we were uh, the judges in all the contests and things we were in. They always said that the Sounds Unlimited has something the other groups don't have. And somebody asked them, said, what's that? And the judges said in the contest, said, the Sounds Unlimited have class. <laughs> and we did. We had we had special outfits made, and right. we were a real classy type of group. You know, we had horns and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But that's that's where I started uh, with the classical music training and so forth. And I played through all that, and then I decided it'd be fun to try to get into mo you know modern popular music. Right, right. That's that that is awesome. Going from classical to pop, and then into uh, getting in with the with the. Uh, 
with the Gentries. Now, speaking of Jimmy Hart with the Gentries, how did you yeah. how did you first meet Jimmy Hart? How did that come about? Meeting Jimmy Hart. Okay, I was playing with a group from Lexington, Kentucky, called uh, a fellow named Doug Breeding had a, a band, and actually, uh, two of Exile's members right now, the group Exile, which you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were in our band before Exile. Uh, we were in that band together. It was Doug Breeding, Sonny Lemaire of Exile Now, and Marlon Hargis of Exile Now, and myself, of myself now. <laughs> and I, I actually joined the Gentries. Uh, I had a chance at one time, uh, uh, Exile uh, had some member changes. They had quite a few over the ways, uh, over the years, 35 different members over time. Wow. Uh, but uh, I decided I wanted to leave Kentucky. I'd already done, uh, they were real big here in Kentucky at that time, mm-hmm. but uh, they hadn't had any hit records yet or anything just yet, whatever. So I joined, I, the way I met Jimmy is the agent that was booking our band, the Doug Breeding Band. Uh, oh, nice. We were called uh, the Second Hand Band was the name. And then we changed the name after I joined a few months after I joined. Doug said, we're more powerful band now, let's change the name. So changed the name to Powder Keg. But same group of people. <laughs> but at any rate, we went to Florida and played a series of gigs. And then Sonny Lemaire uh, decided he's our bass player, and he's also Exile's bass player now. Right. Uh, Sonny went to do a duo in, in Las Vegas with a friend of his, that uh, you know, a two guy, two man duo thing, and for a real big buck. So Sonny quit the band to go out there and make a big big money in Vegas playing, uh, you know, with a friend of his in a duo. But the agent that booked us. Uh, happened to call me one evening, and the phone rang, and my mother answered. This is back when you had a telephone on a stand by the door, you know, you, you know the way it used to be. And uh, so mom said, telephone Jim, and I got on the phone, and I said, uh, hello. And uh, Joe Powers was his name, the agent. And he said, well, I just, I'm just i sorry you guys broke up because the people loved you all when you played the Florida gigs. But uh, that, things happen. But uh, I just happened, I'm also booking some uh, concert group called The Gentries. He said, and I just got a call from Jimmy Hart, the leader of the band. Uh, he said that they're, you know, they're looking for a drummer. And so I said, great. And so he, gave, he said, call him right now. He's standing by, and he'll talk to you. And so I called this guy named Jimmy Hart. I never heard of him or, or seen him. And uh, so Jimmy told me, he said, uh, you sound like you're a real nice guy and everything, but we've got Jerry Lee Lewis's Great Balls of Fire. You know, we've got his drummer right. auditioning. Right. And then we have a former a former drummer that was with uh that was with uh Ray Charles. Mm-hmm. But seeing my mind I knew when he was saying that these guys aren't heavy rock drummers. These guys are rockabilly drummers and more traditional music type drummers. Not that they couldn't play some of that, but that isn't really their thing. So I said, I tell you what, Jimmy, uh, that sounds good. Those guys are great, but I think I'm more what you need. How about I'll drive to Memphis and audition at my expense, and if you take me, then you'll just reimburse me half my expenses, and then we'll go on from there and see how we do. He said, well, okay, I just want to let you know who you're up against. So I went, I drove to Memphis uh, two days later, Uh put my drums in the back of my car, went down there, and went to the old American recording studios. That's where uh, Elvis cut a lot of his hits in the day. And so we went in there and these other guys were, one guy was already playing and then they let him go out in the hall and then they called the other guy in. And then I was the, the last one. And then I came in and they waited out in the hall and they, we played going down a song called going down by Don Nix going down, 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 down. And he's from Memphis. Also Don Nix was a real nice guy. Oh, nice. But anyway, so I had double bass drums. 
Well, they had never seen anything like that. <laughs> and so we played through half of going down the song. Right. And they stopped, stopped everybody. And I thought, oh, I scared them. This double bass stuff has freaked them. They, I did too much, I guess. Well, so much for me. <laughs> so then they whispered to each other, Jimmy and his guitar player, Wes Stafford, who's since passed away. Right. Uh, and so, uh, so then Jimmy walked out, walked away, went out in the hall. And then, uh, I just kind of sat there and Wes didn't say anything. He just said, uh, uh Hart will be back in in a minute and we'll, uh, you know, we'll tell you who we're going to take. So anyway, Jimmy had gone out there to tell those guys to go home. That's what he did. <laughs> and he came back in and, and then they both smiled and turned around and said, welcome to the band McGuire and shook my hand. And there I was in the gentries. Nice. That's. That that's awesome. So you pretty much, you pretty much knocked out the competition, and you you were in the gentries, and there, there you are, and you got the tour play and immediately. Just, we left the next day for Florida, and we we did a show with. Uh, actually, now this is going to blow your mind out. Okay, we were at the top of the bill, and guess who was under us? Who's Steppenwolf that? and Chicago. Oh no way, Steppenwolf! Because the Gentry said oh, just that you know we're known from the million multi-million seller. Keep on dancing. Now uh, I joined in nineteen uh, in later of seventy-two, mm-hmm. and we covered Cinnamon Girl by Neil Young. It was on his album, right? Uh, but we but we put it out as a single and had a top forty worldwide hit with it as a single. And it's nice. tough to tell. Nice. The the music sounds pretty identical, but you, but if you listen real close, Jimmy Jimmy's voice is phenomenal. Uh, a lot of people don't know this in, in the wrestling fan world and whatever, but I'm going to tell you, and you better listen up real clear right now and get the wax out of your ears, everybody, because Jimmy Hart, his greatest talent, is he is one of the greatest ring managers that's ever lived, without any doubt. I always yes. tell Jimmy, I say, Jimmy, you're the most colorful ring manager that's ever lived. And he says, oh, well, okay, thanks for saying that, McGuire. Jimmy's very humble. But what I'm going to tell everybody loud and clear is Jimmy Hart is a fabulous singer. His vocal abilities are phenomenal, even greater than his managerial skills, if you could believe that. <laughs> and most of the people have not have heard him sing maybe a little bit on a few of our wrestling themes here and there, mm-hmm. but we usually used other people because he couldn't be identified as a heel singing a good guy song. You know? Right, right, right. So, but uh, <laughs> his voice is phenomenal. He sounds uh, very similar to the guy that sang for Atlanta Rhythm Section. Nice. It's, they have very similar tone and, and projection and everything, but uh, but Jimmy, see Jimmy, my first encounters with Jimmy was not wrestling; it was music, and then uh, the wrestling came later for us. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the next things I want to ask you. You're you're a you're a Jimmy. You you're in a band. You have a top forty hit. You're touring the country. You're touring with Steppenwolf, Chicago. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. you're doing all this. How did the Gentries, Jimmy Hart, and yourself get into the world of wrestling? How did that come about? Oh wow, it's fun. I love to tell these stories because, first of all, they're all bona fide true stories. I'm not. Uh, there's probably there's two people in the wrestling business I know for a fact. Uh, I'll say three with Jimmy Hart. But I'll tell you, the honky tonk man who, which you know, I did his music for him too. I got long sideburns and my hair slicked back. You know the song. Yes. And uh, honky tonk uh, man, at any risk, always tells the truth. Mm-hmm. I always tell the truth, and especially when it comes to wrestling and these things that people are really 
especially a lot younger people as yourself right. and other fans are interested in. I want people to know the truth. That's why I came forward out of the, the dark shadows to display myself and let people really know who I was. I didn't think anybody cared. My son is 15 years old. And one day he came home from school and he said, dad, the kids at school are asking me, are you, is your dad that wrestling music man? And I thought, Oh my God, kids that are 14, 15 years old care about it, something that I did two decades ago or whatever it's been three, some of it or what have you. I was blown away that, that, that anybody cared. I did, I just thought it was something that had been done and gone by. Right. But, uh, you know, to answer your question there, uh, the way we got into wrestling now, uh, when we were playing in the Gentries, mm-hmm. uh, on Sunday, the only day we had off was a Sunday. Right. And so Jimmy, one, on one Sunday, Jimmy said, McGuire, let's go down to the the auditorium and let's watch some wrestling. And I went, oh, yeah, I love wrestling, Jimmy. I watched it. I, since I was a kid, a little kid, I always watched Saturday morning wrestling. You know, put my cereal on and my lunch or whatever and sit there and watch the wrestling. Love wrestling. He said, well, we're going down today. And guess who we're going to meet? I said, who? He said, Sputnik Monroe. And I went, really? Oh, I've heard of Sputnik. He's huge. And he went, yeah. yeah. He said, let's go watch. So we went down. And when we sat down there, ever, let me tell you, Jimmy Hart never took his eyes off that ring. He oh, never really? looked over at me. We would talk, and I'd look at him. But he never turned his head to, to look at me. He, ca- he never took his focus off of that ring through the whole show. Right. And I knew that he was really something serious there. And so then we, then we, after it's over, went down and talked to Sputnik and, uh, we took Sputnik back to his hotel room and everything. So really Sputnik Monroe was the first big wrestler that I ever met. And you must understand this is before WWF and all that, you know, uh, somewhat before. And so Jimmy's interest was in there big. So then fast forward a little bit more and Jimmy was going to the matches, uh, mid South matches of Jerry Lawler in them. And which wound up being a big part of the roster of WWF, you know, they chose, took a lot of people out of mid South, you know? And so anyway, uh, <clears throat> Jimmy was working merchandise. Uh, then Lawler saw him out there and knew, knew him from the gentries. Right. And that's about all Lawler knew him. And so he wanted to said, Jimmy Hart, would you sell my merchandise for me out in the lobby of the auditoriums, the Coliseums and whatever? Yeah. Jimmy said, sure. King, I'd be glad to do that. So Jimmy didn't know, uh, anything. Uh, Jimmy didn't know a gable grip from a, uh, from Grippo's potato chips, you know, uh, he, he knew nothing. Right. right so right. King came to him and said, well, Jimmy, you're doing a great job on the merchandise, but why don't you be my ring manager? Oh, and Jimmy nice. said, King, how do you do that? If you could believe that. And <laughs> King said, well, I'll show you how. Right. And so next thing you know, Jimmy became Waller's ring manager. And then what that did, then one day I got a phone call and it was Jimmy. And he says, McGuire, and he says, Lawler wants to do a record to sell out in the lobby of the matches, you know. And I said, really? That sounds okay. Uh, he said, yeah, well, let's do something. I said, okay. So then Lawler called me. Uh-huh. Lawler says, McGuire, I heard how talented you are. You play all the instruments and write all that music. And uh, Jimmy does lyrics and, and uh, you guys get together and do what you do. He said in the gentries, he said, I'm impressed. But I, he said, I want to fly you down to Memphis and, and do a song for me. No and way. I said, sure, King, I'd love to do that. So uh, Jerry flew me down uh, first class, put me up at the first class hotel. Jimmy came over and said, McGuire, what are we going to do? And I said, you know what? This is the disco era. We're right on the kind of maybe the tail end of it, but it's still selling big. 
Yeah. Why don't we take Neil Sadaka's song, Breaking Up is Hard to Do, and I'll rearrange it disco style. Oh, no way. And that's what we did. And that was the first record that, that we did. And then the next record that was done was the Ballad of Handsome Jimmy Valiant. Nice. Nice. So that's where it kind of all began. That's how it all went together. And uh, Jimmy originally started, he, uh, he came, when he was going, before he was going to be manager, Waller told him this would be a good gimmick. Jimmy dressed up like a big fat woman out in the audience with popcorn and slopping around, and she'd be bad-mouthing him. I wish there was, uh, there may be, there, there's actually some tapes of that somewhere. I wish somebody would find oh, that, I'd love that to back see on that. the internet. Yeah, I'd definitely but love to see He dressed up that. like a big fat woman and, and heckled, and heckled Waller. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that's how it started, and then then it right. turned from that into they exposed it. Oh, it's Jimmy Hart of the Chantries. Who is he trying to fool? And then then he threw all that off, and then did the ring management thing. Nice. That's nice. where it started. That's how it started. That's where it all began, brother. I want to give a shout out to the viewers that's viewing right now. What JJ just mm -hmm. mentioned, if anyone can find that, could you message me that? Because I'd love to see that if it exists on YouTube. I'd love to see that there, ladies and gentlemen. I definitely would. And I know, uh, I know JJ would love to see that, too, yes, if there's any of that footage yes, out there. Now, leading into working with Jerry Lawler and working with Memphis, Memphis Wrestling, basically. Now, mm -hmm. how did you get – how did you and Jimmy – get in contact with WWF, WWE, with Vince McMahon? How did that come about? Well, it's just, it's, you put put your uh, automatic transmission in reverse. Every, <laughs> okay. The way it worked was, <laughs> is Vince actually called, he looked at the tapes and stuff from Mid-South. Right. And so, actually, Hillbilly Jim had mentioned up there, Hillbilly was already up there. Uh -huh. And Hillbilly told Vince, said, Vince, I'll tell you, if you have anything to you at all, Thanks for hiring me, but but we need Jimmy Hart up here. And then said Jimmy Hart, yes, a guy named Jimmy Hart. He said I've heard of his name. He's down there in Mid South, didn't he? And like you were and whatever. He said yes, sir. But uh, he's uh, there. I'm, I've got some tapes I want you to see, boss. So Hillbilly actually linked it all up, and Vince saw the tapes. That's all it took. Vince got on the phone right at that very moment and called Jimmy at home. Oh, okay, no Jimmy way. answers the phone. Jimmy answers the phone and. Uh, Jimmy Hart, this is Vince McMahon. And Jimmy said, yeah, okay, superstar. He thought it was uh, Dundee ribboning or something. <laughs> so he said, sure thing, yeah, buddy. And he hung up on him. He hung he, up on Vince. He hung up on Vince. <laughs> oh, hung my up on goodness. Vince. And then Vince called right back and says, Jimmy, th it really is Vince. This is Vince. And I want you to come to New York next Tuesday. I I've got the plane tickets for you waiting. I want you to come up. We want to talk to you about joining the WWF. Right. Right. And Jimmy said, Are you sure this isn't a rib? This isn't you, is it, Superstar? You may can't be quiet. And uh, so anyway, he hung up on Vince when Vince called him first time. <laughs> yeah, true story. Yes, yeah, sir. Oh, he'll, he'll Jimmy will verify it. Any of you guys that go over by the, the bar and grill, just ask him. He'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We're so a lot alike. Jimmy Hart and I, we realize that we're, we're doppelgangers. Right. Where people continually ask me if, if we're brothers or kin or or what have you, but we just realized that we, we're two people that never knew each other that met each other, mm -hmm. and it, it, I guess we had some sort of bromance. Uh, there wasn't any romance, but we were right. bromance, and I guess we just realized that we had similar qualities and similar ideals and similar similarities, you know. Right. Uh, Right. It's just kind of an odd thing, but that's how it worked. We were lucky that we bumped into each other because look what we wound up doing. We we did 
more icon themes than anybody in the business. Oh, yes. Yes, that's one thing I, I want to ask you. If you can name off just a few of ones that uh, our viewers and listeners would know that you've heard oh, yeah. you've heard JJ's work. I've heard JJ's work. So basically, just name, just ram off the top of your head what we were talking about sure. earlier before you before we went live. Uh, well, the, we, the most played theme in wrestling history of all time is the sexy boy theme. How about starting there? There you go, right there. Sexy boy, yeah. He's so cool. He's so sexy. Yeah. Uh, I wrote that in five minutes and Jimmy pinned the words as I was playing the chords and that's what you got. And that's me playing all the instruments on it too. That's nice. most of the themes were, nice. uh, but sexy boy, a million dollar man, uh, Bret Hart road to destruction, his theme. Uh, Oh Lord. I, I mean, uh, 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 I just say million dollar man. Yes. Uh, honky tonk man. Yes. Uh, let's see. I've got I've got my list here. Yeah, there's so many I get jumbled up trying to think of them all. Uh, right. 114 themes and bumpers all together. But uh, a lot of themes. Legion of Doom, Barbarian, Beefcake Strut, Big Boss Man theme, um, American Males, uh, Brian Pillman theme, Blondes Have More Fun, uh, Booty Man, uh, of course Bret Hart, uh, Common Man Boogie. That was. Uh, uh, Dusty's theme. No, I really miss Dusty. He was a beautiful person. Yeah, Dusty. Um, Crush, the Crush theme. Demolition. That's one of my favorites that I think that I came up with. And actually, Rick Danger, uh, people think Rick Danger wrote that. No, he didn't. I wrote it all except for the chorus. And Jimmy Hart was smart. And he said, Why leave the chorus off? And I said, huh, Well, that won't be a complete song. Right. He said, No, nah, leave it off. And when we send it up to New York for the album, you know, Rick Dendrill will add those two chords on the bridge, and we'll share a writer's credit with an icon person. And I went, sounds good to me. Nice. But Rick Dendrill just he just nice. replicated exactly what I played. He didn't, you know, he just put the two chords on the chorus that I'd already written anyway. Right. But I actually wrote the whole song, and Jimmy wrote the uh, the lyrics. Here come the axe, here come the smasher, <laughs> walking disaster, baby. Uh, then also um, Coco Beware. Yes, Coco Earthquake. Beware. Earthquake. Uh, uh, um, Heart Foundation. High Energy. That was Coco Beware and Owen Hart. Miss Owen, too. Yes. Uh, Owen the Glamour Hart. Girls uh, did the Hammerman theme for Greg Valentine. Uh, and then we had Jimmy Jameson of Survivor sang the Big Boss Man original theme. If you ever take a trip down to Macon County, Georgia. You know, that one. I'm a big and, uh, boss man. Ooh. I'm sorry. <laughs> yep. And then, uh, 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 hunka hunka hockey love for WCW and, uh, Hulksters in the house and y'all you know, the stuff from wrestling boot band, uh, the Mountie, uh, Jeff Jarrett theme, Joe yes. Gomez theme, junkyard yes. dog, uh, of course, sexy boy, Kamala, uh, Kurt angle, uh, Kurt angle, Kurt angle. Yep. Uh, madness, no Mark young theme, the Marty Janetti rockers theme, Yes, I love dun, dun, the rockers. Marty Janetti. Yes. Million Dollar Man. Uh, uh, let's see. More Mountie stuff. We did a couple of variations of the Mountie. And, um, let's see here. Then uh, the new Beverly Brothers. And not to mention Nasty Sensation. The Nasty Boys theme. Nasty Boys, yep. Uh, Orient Express theme. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see here. 
I'm looking at my sheet as, as I flip through it. We'll just do a few more. We'll be here all night if I try to read them all. The power <laughs> and glory theme, public enemy, lobby, yes. lobby, lobby. We likes to party. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, sir. The repo man, repo man. That's me doing the voice on that repo man. You know, I sampled it and played it right. down low. Nice. Uh, of course, the road to destruction for Bret Hart. I think I already said that. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I said the rockers and sexy boy. And Shane Douglas theme. Uh, yes. uh, let's see. Tatanka. Uh, mm-hmm. Superfly Snooker was the first uh, WWF theme that I did. Super Superfly. I, that's such a good. Mm-hmm. good that's me power. too. Super, super, superfly. But I, I sampled I it and played that. it on a sampled keyboard uh, two octaves lower, so it has that voice. But. I believe I was the first person to ever use a sample voice that way before all the rappers did. Right. I have to look a little closer to that, but nobody had, and then all of a sudden it was on that. And, and then, then every rap artist you heard had that lowered sampled, sampled voice thing going. And I kind of felt like, yeah. Hey, I did it first. Tatanka, mm-hmm. uh, tugboat, yes. uh, all the video game music and stuff for all the different wrestlers and different things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, on from there, but uh, we, you know, we were just lucky that we got to do uh, all the greatest of all times because everybody that came through during that time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, wound up being really something. And, oh, and yeah. the funny part, real quick, of this story that I'll tell, and we can go on something else, mm-hmm. is that when my father used to tell me a story about how my grandfather, Doctor McGuire, saved the life of Strangler Ed Lewis. Oh, no way. And he was in Lexington at the Opera House wrestling, and he came out, he chewed gum before he got to the ring. A fan slapped him on the back, and he got choked on it. And he was turning blue for real. This wasn't part of a show or anything. And so they got on the megaphone and said, if there's a doctor in the house, well, granddad was sitting right there ringside with my father. He was only like about 19 years old. And so granddad stepped around the ropes or whatever, the barricade, and did whatever he did and got the, got the gum out of him. Strangler was so thankful that he had him come to the back when the show was over, and he said, you saved my life out there. So if you'd like a horse and buggy, a new one, just it's done. If, or if you'd like a newfangled car, either one, you choose it, and it's yours. And Granddad said, I, well, thank you, Strangler, but I can't accept any gratuities because I took Hippocratic Oath to save lives and so forth. So, uh, But then Granddad looked at my dad, and my dad said that they looked at each other, and Granddad looked at Strangler and said, but you know what, Strangler, how about, how about lifetime ringside seats? Stranger said, done. And they had lifetime ringside seats for the rest of the duration. But <laughs> for those that want to look into it, Strangler Ed Lewis and his promoter were the people who created the undercard. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised. There's a lot of icons that don't know this. Right. You know, wrestler. And, uh, and then, fast forward, uh, Strangler Ed Lewis and his promoter were instrumental in helping to create the formation of capital wrestling. You know what that is? Yeah. That's what became WWF. Now, isn't that odd? I mean, decades and decades before my dad met my mother, before I was born, mm-hmm. my grandfather saved the greatest wrestler of all time. He was the Hulk Hogan of that era and for, for a long time. Right. Before Hulk Hogan was even born or anything, or me either. Right. And then look right. at that. All of a sudden, I wake up one day and I wind up being a part of the greatest show on earth. Isn't that something? I know that. That, that is something right there. That doesn't happen to a lot of people actually getting to work no. in the, in the uh, behind the scenes like you, you did and create so much music because I want to throw this out there and say the characters and the list of songs 
and themes for the wrestlers that we all grew up watching on TV. You've basically you made that that character and that person come to life with that entrance because that entrance fit that character and that became part of them because every time you heard it, you knew who was coming to the ring. You knew you knew who was coming out and you just by the beginning of that music and you knew that your favorite wrestler was coming out and it was such a great time. And that's kind of you to say that. I mean, I've had so many people of all ages and walks of life come up to me and say, thank you so much for what you did. And it's, it's the fabric of our life. And when people say that, yeah, it <laughs> is. Take a breath. I, I mean, it, it's true. It's overwhelming. Yeah, it's true because, because I, a lot of the wrestlers I grew up watching on TV and stuff, it's just, I knew he was coming to the ring as soon as the music hit. I knew who which one was coming. If no matter if it was it was Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, uh, Superfly, Junkyard Dog, just Demolition, and just I knew who was coming to the ring as soon as their music hit. I'm like, here they come, here they come. You know, Million Dollar Man, that laugh. I love that. And well, I always tried to to I wrote the music to fit the character. I didn't try to write the music to show, to mm-hmm. show off what I think that I should do. Right. I wrote the music for those characters. I, I went, first of all, I mean, you know, I didn't just watch them on TV or get a picture sent. I traveled with these guys. Yeah. Every, I mean, I've spent, I've been around the world with mm-hmm. the greatest of all time. And yeah, I was able yeah. not only to honored and privileged to do the music for them, but I was honored and privileged to be able to travel with them and spend personal time away from the ring with all these yes. icons and get to know them as well. And that's how I was able to come up with what fit the, the character. If they came out in, in a green outfit, then the darn music needed to sound kind of green too. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, I, I wrote it, the music to fit them, not to fit me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just... I guess I've succeeded because here we are talking about it all these years later. Yeah. But Jimmy Hart, uh, Jimmy's a great inspirational... Uh, there's nobody more of an inspirational person than Jimmy to get you get your motor going and get you fired up and create. And he, Vincent Mann always said that Jimmy Hart is my uh, most loyal employee, you know, hardest work, and that's what he said. Yes. Uh, and when I, told, when I told Vince that story about Strangler Ed and all that. Right. Uh, Vince Vince shed a tear. He actually cried a oh, little bit did. on that, and I never could understand why uh-huh. was that so touching to Vince that he would shed a tear like that. Right. Now I know. Now I found out. You know, as time went on, he didn't say McGuire. He was so important in helping us to capital wrestling to be formatted, and we based our way we worked it off of things that he and his promoter had pioneered, and so on and so forth. And then I, I realized why 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 he shed a tear on that, but that's that's how uh, heavy that uh, Vince is into it, and that's why you're still seeing the number one entertainment uh, vehicle uh, today still is because Vince McMahon is wrestling. Yes, yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. I definitely do agree. Now, with with doing doing the themes for WWE. WWF, okay. Now, you being with Jimmy Hart and the Hulkster, Hulk Hogan, 
because mm-hmm. you got to you got to really I mean you got to really know the talent and stuff in WWF and you really did get to know I'd say with being with Jimmy Hart knowing Hulk Hogan now when Hulk stepped away from wrestling in 1994 correct me if I'm wrong it was it 93 or 94 he stepped away from wrestling to, to pursue acting that's that's correct uh, Thunder he did Thunder in Paradise which I was a character on too and did music for Yes, that's the that's the next thing I was going to ask you about. Now, I love that story, how that came about. How did you end up scoring the music and doing and actually appearing on Thunder in Paradise, which I did watch when I was when I was younger. I loved that show. I did. <laughs> well, the way that that all worked out was is. Uh, Jimmy called me and said, uh, McGuire Hulkster's an executive producer with the Burke Bonin and Schwartz producers that do Baywatch. They've all hooked up together. They're going to do a new TV show, a concept thing that uh, Hulk's going to be in called Thunder in Paradise. I said, oh, sounds cool. He said, we're, we're going to film it yes. down here at Disney because they got all the locations right here on the Disney lot. You know, you got Europe, you got England, you got China, you know, all that's down there. You know, it looks like it. So yeah. uh, he said, they're, they're wanting an end theme. They've got a a thing for the opener opening part already. Uh, but they want an end thing. And so we have a chance. So you want to come down and let's put something together and, and give it a pitch. And I went, well, sure. So I put my gear in the vehicle and drove down to Florida and uh, set up and whatever. And so I said, well, I think it needs to be a reggae thing, Jimmy, because you know, this show is about the ocean or the water and you know, reggae seems to be in on the beach this year. So I said, okay. So I just, it took me like about three minutes to go, Dun, 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 dun. When the sun goes up in paradise. Uh, so I was playing the lift, and as I was playing the lift, Jimmy was writing the words right there. We wrote the whole thing in like 15 minutes. Oh, no way. And, no way. Uh, yeah. And then so <laughs> we, went to the stu- we went to a studio called Greg Reich Studio, and he had done a lot of uh, big recordings at the time. And um, he was up in a little bit more northern Florida there. We remember we drove from Orlando for a couple hours up uh, north. But anyway, um, so we went in and I recorded the theme and, uh, Jimmy wrote the lyrics and I played all the instruments and wrote all the music and there we were. And so we went to audition it. We we're going to play it in real time though, before we recorded it, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Uh, <laughs> Bert Borman and Schwartz at like three feet in front of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I was able to reach out and touch them. We were so close. And I had my drum machine and my keyboard, and I played the left-handed bass with my left hand and, and the chords with my right hand on the other keyboard and had the drum machine going. So it, it sounded like a whole band, you know, and Jimmy sang it. Right. And they were just ecstatic. We hit, when we hit the last note on it, they leapt out of their seats and hugged us and shook our hands and said, that's it, that's it, that's what we got, we need, yeah, that's it. Oh, and no way. And Greg Nolan said, McGuire said, uh, let me ask you something. I said, yes, sir. Uh, thank you for accepting the theme. It's our pleasure, really. Thank you. We're really honored and really appreciate it. He said, well, McGuire, how long were you planning to be down here? And I said, well, uh, Mr. Bonin, uh, you know, I brought like four pairs of underwear and socks and whatever, and I just figured I'd be down here a day or two and uh, time enough to do the theme and hang it for a day maybe and then head on back. He says, well, you better get yourself out to Target and get some <laughs> more clothes and underwear and socks because – you're going to be down here for the whole summer because you're also going to be a character on the show. <laughs> Hello? Wow. Hello? One, am, I, am I still on? I thought, to myself, I thought I must be in a, 
must have uh, fallen into a dreamscape or something. Right. And right. and so, but now here's what's even stranger on that. So anyway, I, yeah, I did go to Target for those that want to know. I did get more underwear and socks, so everything worked out good. But uh, I was character tone deaf on the show, as you remember. Jimmy Hart and I were the music yes. jabronis that were, you know, uh, played music at the uh, beach bar. Yeah, yeah, I and, I remember that, that. Yeah, yeah. I what one thing I loved about the show was how it also it featured every you know during the episodes and stuff on the TV show, and also you see Jimmy at the bar. We seen we seen you at the bar, and then we get to see other wrestling talent on on the show too, mm -hmm. which was which mm -hmm. was really great and stuff. I think I off the top of my head, I remember seeing uh, Brutus Beefcake, Jim the Anvil, Nightheart. And Steve Borden. Yep. Steve Borden was on. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the episode. It was a two-part episode, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, Sting was fabulous on there. Yeah, Sting, Sting. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. that 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 was great. That definitely was great. Now, Thunder in Paradise. That actually, they they did a TV movie. That's how I found out about the TV show. I remember when they sh they played the TV movie of Thunder in Paradise, and then they. They started the show. How many seasons did Thunder and Paradise run for? Uh, Thunder and Paradise actually only run one, ran one complete season, but the reason why it wasn't canceled because of crummy ratings or anything. It was tops in the ratings. But the reason it was because Hulk had an offer to go back to wrestling with WCW. Yes. So that, that's why the show uh, quit. It wasn't canceled or anything. And uh, so, But here's the, here's the funny part of that. Even though the show only ran one complete season, it's the second biggest syndicated cable TV show in history of television. Huh? No way! No way! I yes, wouldn't even thought about that. Yes, sir. Because I remember it sure is right behind Baywatch. Baywatch is the number one most cable syndicated TV show, huh. and Thunder in Paradise is the number two. Even though it it ran one season. Nice. That. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. I remember when NBC had Sequest on, it went head to head with that and stuff. You see, I always thought I always thought it was like NBC because Thunder got canceled because NBC Sequest. But the funny thing about that is when Thunder ran its one season and uh, Hulk went back to wrestling, went back went to sign with WCW. Sequest, I think, lasted I think one more season, and then it was done with. Man, it got axed. Yeah, it was it was having writing problems. So we were hammering yeah. everything, and even even David Hasselhoff was jealous. <laughs> Hasselhoff was nervous because Hulk was showing him up. You know, Hasselhoff, you know, he doesn't have the muscles Hulk does. Right. And right. Hasselhoff, Hasselhoff was he was nervous about that because Baywatch was starting to slip some too. Had Hulk wanted to stay with the show. Uh, we would have been what picked up uh, uh, the slack from Bay Baywatch has only lasted another couple of three years anyway, too, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that our show might even still be on the air almost as many years <laughs> uh, had it been that sort of thing. But Hulk loves his wrestling, and, and that's what he wanted to do more than anything. So Eric Bischoff right. worked a good deal out for him, and the rest you all know about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he. But yeah. now here's here's something kind of weird. I just thought in regard to that question. Okay. I had just like like two years earlier, a year and a half to two years earlier. I, my friend John Barker, who's an engineer, a friend of mine, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, recording studio engineer, and he's also right. the guy. One of the guys, his team developed the SVGA 
computer monitor, which is ancient history now, but at the time it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. He worked for IBM. Right. Uh, but at any rate, we went down to Disney World and took, took a vacation for fun, just a couple of buddies having a, a fun trip down there. Mm-hmm. Well, we were taking the tour, and they took us, they were shooting um, uh, Dick Tracy, uh, yes, the movie Dick that. Tracy, from yeah. back in the, uh, in that, uh, the 80s or whenever it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, we looked down on that sound stage, and it was the diner that was used in that and whatever. And they were filming some scenes uh, in the movie. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I don't know what possessed me, but I turned around to my friend John. I said, "You know something, John? The next time I come down here, I'm going to be down there on that sound stage when I come back." No way. And brother, and brother, it happened. <laughs> Less than <laughs> two years happen. later, I was down there on that very same sound stage with Thunder and Paradise. That is awesome. That that is that's yeah. I don't know what to say about that. It still blows my mind. I, it blows these, my these, mind. These too. series of events and these things are freaky. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like uh, our buddy uh, Robin Nelson says it's almost paranormal. Yeah, paranormal. <laughs> Shout out to Robin yeah. Nelson there of Paranormal yeah. Files hey, thirteen and of course uh, Wrestle Popcast. Now, yeah, with with. Hogan going back to wrestling, and mm-hmm. there for a while, Hogan was accepted by, of course, I mean, everyone loved Hulkamania, you know. Everyone said their prayers, okay. ate their vitamins and stuff. He beat Ric Flair. He was the world heavyweight champion, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, as time went on, people got kind of sour with Hogan because of you know he was he was the good guy he was the face that everyone loved mm-hmm. but there for a while in WCW people got got uh, tired of him and then of course mm-hmm. in 1996 at Bash at the Beach here in Daytona Beach at the Ocean Center they had their pay-per-view there now Sting Macho Man and Luger Luger got taken out early and it was against the Outsiders, Hall and Nash. And apparently mm-hmm. Hall and Nash teased that night there was going to be a third man. Who was the third man? And then towards the end of the, the end of the match, Hogan comes out. People's like, Hogan is going to save Savage and Sting. Oh, man. And all of a sudden, he does the late drop to he turned. He turned heel. Now, mm-hmm. what was your reaction? And what, did, what was going through your mind the moment Hulk Hogan basically... Turn heel, all the trash, as Mean Gene Oakland would say, from Daytona Beach filled the ring, and Hogan told the told the fans they can stick it, brother. What what went through your head with, and what was your reaction to that, man? Well, it was shocking to say the least. But um, Hulk's dad told him, he said, "Son, when his, his dad was still living at that time, he said, son, I don't." I don't think that's good. And the NWO stuff they wound up doing. His dad never liked that. He said, that's not really you. He said, but dad, you know, this is just part of what we do and, and what we're doing and everything. Right. But his dad said, if that's going to hurt you, son, he always told Hulk, he said, doing that isn't going to help you any. It's liable to hurt your whole career, son. And his dad was real upset about that term. Oh, really? And uh, yeah. And, and, uh, but at any rate though, but the NWO gimmick wound up being the biggest thing wrestling ever had up to that point. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely. You know? And uh, uh, but it was very shocking. I mean, uh, but I'll be honest with you. When I stood between the rail and the ring, 
at the Silverdome and watched Hulk slam Andre, that's the biggest thing that I've ever witnessed, uh, up close and shocking thing that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, when he slammed Andre at the Silverdome. And yes. that was really something. But that turn was different. And I always told Jimmy, I said, well, I'm sure this will all work out okay as far as selling tickets and whatever, but there's a lot of people upset that Hogan has turned, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of, if you if you really look at it, it in in a lot of ways, I watched uh, the Monday Night War um, series they had on the WWE Network. Vince mm-hmm. even, you know, said... That was actually something I never even thought of, and that was actually that was actually good in the business sense because it was like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, he he would have never turned Hogan heel bad. He would have never done that. And then mm-hmm. Vince even said, you know, that was he didn't expect that. That was a that was something there that he never even thought of. He you know he complimented I guess WCW and Bischoff for doing that, but mm-hmm. I mean. Hogan, you know, you know, running with the NWO, it was it was great because merchandise and stuff. It actually, I mean, WCW was on top there in the Monday Night Wars for I think ninety eighty eight ninety eight weeks. Someone can probably uh, correct me on that one there, but yeah, yeah, they they, I mean, the NWO took over and everything, and it was just it was just fantastic, and it was just kind of re- revived his career there. Which was sure did. which was great and stuff, but um, with uh, we had the wrestling boot band out too. You know, we had the album out and we got to number ten on the charts with that. Yes, uh, that, that was, was a lot of fun too. That was that was going to be my next thing to uh, I was going to ask you there. Mm-hmm. Now, knowing Hulk Hogan and knowing and getting to know him, and you know, with you know, knowing Jimmy Hart as long as you've known him and stuff, and him being the manager of Hulk Hogan, and you've got to know, you pretty much got to know Hulk Hogan really well. Now, how did the wrestling, how did that come about there, the Hulk Hogan uh, and the wrestling boot band with yourself, Jimmy Hart, and Hogan, how did that come about? Well, uh, we were down working on some wrestling music at Jimmy's house in uh, Clearwater, or excuse me, in Tampa, forgive me. And okay. uh, <laughs> pardon, uh-huh. and we were working. I forget what we were working on exactly, but what song? But anyway, the phone rang, and uh, it was Hulkster, and uh, he's calling Jimmy. He said, uh, "Jimmy, what's going on?" And, and Jimmy said, "Well, McGuire's down, and we're working on some more music, uh, you know." And right. he said, "Well, don't do y'all go anywhere." He said, "I, I want to talk to y'all about something. I'm coming over right now." And uh-huh. so Jimmy was like a deer in the headlights, like something might be wrong or something. So he said, "Sure, Hulkster, <laughs> okay, great." And he hung up, and he said he was nervous. And he said, I don't know what Hulkster wants. He said he said he's coming over right now. He wants to talk to us about something. So I've got no clue, McGuire. I really don't. Right. I don't know what's right. happening. I hope we're not in trouble, he said. I said, well, <laughs> I, I, don't, I can't think of what we've done to put us in trouble, but you never know. Uh-huh. So yeah. there Hulk came in, sat down in the room with just Jimmy and myself in the living room where we had all the stuff set up. And he adjusted his do-rag like he does. And he looked up, and he said, Brothers, before this run is over, I want to do some more music. And I know that you and McGuire can do it. We can do it. You can help me with it. Right. And we looked at this and said, sure, Hulkster, we'll be glad to do something. What do you What do you got in mind? Well, that's your all's deal. You all figure it out, brothers. And let's figure something out and let's do some music. Right. 
And I went, so we went, okay. So the next day, uh, we went to Hulk's beach house. He and Brutus came over to the beach house, and Hulk pulls up in this 1976 Cadillac, and he knew that I was a car guy. I bought and sold muscle cars and stuff and still do. And he said, McGuire, I know you're a car guy. He said, go out there and look, uh, look at the mileage on that Cadillac convertible. I went out there, and it had, it had 212 miles on it. Jeez. And the window sticker still on the window and everything. No way. And anyway, so we sat in there and actually pinned uh, most of the whole album. Now, on the Internet, there's so many things that are incorrect. It's another reason I came out of the shadows to talk and, and do this, because mm-hmm. I want to set the record, the true record straight on how things were put together and, and what the real story is. Yeah. Some of the Internet says that Jimmy Hart and Hulk Hogan went back to the hotel room after a match one night and uh, wrote n- n- that never happened. What happened this is that Jimmy Hart and Hulk and me, we sat in there and we wrote everything you heard on the album down there at the beach house. And that's how it really went. And uh, that's what we did. And we spent about three days at the beach house, you know, off and on, coming right. back over there. And uh, that's that's where the whole album was penned. And then uh, we uh, got a deal with Select Records in New York City. Uh-huh. And then we got a deal with Arista Records in Japan. And, uh, you know, it, it just it went well from there. And then they wanted to book us on the Tonight Show. Jay Leno wanted us on the Tonight Show, but Eric Bischoff didn't want Hulk to do that because he didn't think that would fit the his NWO wrestling character right. Oh. <laughs> so we didn't do it. I always right. regret that. Uh, yeah. But we didn't do it because of that reason. And I'm sure the fans might wonder, but yeah. now they know. But uh, but anyway, we did one. Uh, I wrote one song on there called the. Uh, uh, when the Hulkster gets to heaven, yes. and we donated a, a portion of all that money from that to the Baby James Foundation, you know, the kid that was abducted and murdered over in England yes. at that time. Yes. And uh, that's, uh, by the way, that's uh, we had uh, uh, the choir that sang on that is one of the top choirs in the whole United States, and they're based right out of Tampa. It was the Tampa... Uh, Baptist choir of some sort. I can't remember the exact faction of the church, but man, their voices are fabulous. If you listen to that song, they, it was really great working with them. But we uh, we recorded the album, then we went over to the studio and uh, recorded the album, and I played uh, practically every instrument. Uh, on American Made, uh, we had a guy named Todd Plant is singing it, and then I'm sorry, I can't remember his friend. I added a few Eddie Van Halen, and she taught those guitar licks you're hearing. Uh, I'm playing all the other instruments, bass, drums, keyboards, uh, all the other guitar parts and everything. But Todd Plant, he wouldn't, he didn't want to come over and sing it unless he could get his buddy to play on it too. So we allowed him to play on it as well. And it right. all worked out okay. But, uh, right. So that's how that went. But the um, majority of all the, the, the icon themes and everything, I played every instrument. And that was kind of organic that, you know, it was all self-contained. Uh, two guys can do it all. And, uh, you know, and I, I think that uh, I told I called up uh, the WWE a while back and told them that uh, I thought that uh, John Alacastro and his partner were doing a real good job. Uh, they finally uh, found some people that I think are are really top shelf and doing a great job for the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I enjoyed you know hearing. I like the Bobby Roode theme. That's good and. 
Uh, I like the Finn uh, Balor theme. And, yes. uh, you know, those guys, uh, Al Castro is talented, and they're doing great work. They're perfect for what they need at this time in history, you know, I think. I think mm-hmm. we were perfect for what they needed in our time in wrestling history. Uh, and we could still do it. And uh, like I told somebody, Al Castro and them doing a great job, but they're never going to be able to equal or beat what we did for all the icons. And that's just my opinion. Oh, I'll yeah. say it out loud. And if they're listening, sorry, guys, but you're doing great work, but you're never going to equal what we did. Sorry. <laughs> you you got to have the icons like we did to work with and be inspired and not to say that the guys they have aren't talented and, and great. But what does this tell you? Now, for the Crown Jewel event, you, yes. you notice they're bringing back the people from our era to headline the event. Yeah, yeah. So what does that say? That tells you that there's not been anybody eclipse the Hogans, the Savages, the Beefcakes, the no. Honky Tonks, Mans. No. Nobody, uh, the Dusty Roads, there, there's, I'm not saying that somebody isn't going to someday. Right, but right. Right. We were just lucky and blessed that we were able to come in and do this music during that time of the gold modern, I call it the golden modern era icons of wrestling. Yeah. 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 It, and we're just lucky and I'm thankful for it. Uh, I'm thank, uh, you know, uh, I just want to thank everybody that ever listened to it or bought any of the video games with uh, our music, my music on it. I, I just want to thank all the fans so much because really, you get lip service and you hear all these people getting awards and say, yeah, it's all about fans. And it's just lip service. But I'm telling you right here and now, loud and clear, this ain't lip service that it wasn't for people like yourself and and the fans and and the lovers of wrestling out there. We wouldn't amount to to a hill of beans. It's really the fans that made us popular. And, you know, we gave the fans something they liked, but it was the fans that put us where we are without you, without the fans, we would be nothing. Exactly, exactly, definitely, definitely. We're about halfway, or a little bit just halfway through through the uh, questions, the rest of the questions I have to ask you. And I I love this, I love how this conversation is going. I just love it, and I want to thank the viewers that's viewing in on the live stream tonight here on twitch.tv slash podcasting network. I want to thank everyone tuning in and listening to uh, Hurricane JJ McGuire, the true master of wrestling ring music. I want to give a shout out to everyone that's tuning in tonight on this live podcast of the Everett Lee show. Now with with you with doing wrestling ring music and stuff and you've stepped away from WWF WWE and you live you live in Kentucky, you went back to Kentucky now i understand that your involvement with a local promotion in Kentucky which would have to be Kentucky Zone Wrestling how did that come about yeah. how did you get involved with Kentucky Zone Wrestling well, I actually own the company now. I bought the company. Oh, no way. <laughs> so, yeah. So oh. the way that happened was is uh, they, you know, they were doing some shows close by to here, and somebody told me, said, you know, they said, well, I went to Kentucky Zone Wrestling Show, and it was killer. And, uh, to, to some of the people, they still tell us that they like our show as good or even better in some cases than the WWE shows. And, of course, I'm going, well, gee, thanks. We're just a... Uh, 
a pretty big sized independent wrestling. We're not trying to claim that we're WWE by any means. Right, right. But we have we have fabulous talent and everything. The way I got involved with it is uh, <clears throat> the previous owner had called me mm-hmm. and said, "Would you like to come and uh, make an appearance and just you know a uh, meet and greet? You know, just come and do a meet and greet." Right. And right. so I said, well, I would love to do it. Uh, does anybody really care? And he oh, sure. Come on, JJ. Uh, we'd love to have you. So I said, okay. So I went and did the first show and just did the meet and greet thing and, and had a lot of fun and really enjoyed it. And then next thing you know, uh, the previous owner came to me and said, JJ, we, we'd like for you to be involved in, in the, the programming and everything. So anyway, I wound up coming out. I'm the first thing that people see after the na- national anthem is done. Uh, you know, I, uh, they introduce me and I come out and go between the rail and the ring and shake all the people's hands and pat the babies on the heads and thank them personally for coming. And then I holler out, you know, what we're fixing to do and so on and so forth. I, I'm like the goodwill ambassador. So I got into that role. Mm-hmm. Well, then that went along. And then the previous owner said, well, you know, JJ, uh, w- w- you need to do, we need to do more with you. And so it just went on more and more from there. Right. So, right. uh, then, then as I got more involved around it and whatever, uh, and he asked me, he said, would you like to, would you like to buy into the company? And I said, well, I guess it depends on what it's going to cost me and, and what's involved, but, uh, we work every Saturday. Um, and here's kind of a, a, a laugh for you. Ohio Valley wrestling, which you're familiar with, which I love. I love Al Snow. And yes. all those, and Rip Rogers is, is to me, uh, Rip Rogers is, is the Hulk Hogan of the, of the foot treaded South, you know, right. I love Rip and, and everything, but, um, OVW came down to Somerset a few weeks ago uh-huh. and, uh, they, they only drew, uh, uh, uh I think they had 50 paying customers. Well, <laughs> the smallest show that I've ever done with our company is we've never done less than maybe uh, 125 people. We usually average two to 300. And when we did the Apple Festival in Liberty, Kentucky, three weeks ago, we had about 700 people outside. No way. Wow. So you draw that many I was kind people. of shocked. I mean, Ohio Valley came down, and they wanted to use some of our wrestlers. They called right. us before the show and said, would you like to include some of your wrestlers uh, with us? And uh, we said, no, because this is our territory. And you're kind of down here in our territory, but that's okay. It's a free country, I guess. But uh, I was kind of shocked Ohio Valley couldn't outdraw us. So there you go. <laughs> wow. Well, and we, we know any any real wrestling fan that hard, or a hardcore wrestling fan know the history of OVW. And, and, uh, oh, it's a great history. Yeah, yeah it's a great uh, history. Fabulous. And, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, Al Snow uh, took over and whatever. Yes. But now they have this gladiator. Gladiator Network or whatever it's called uh, that bought into the company or whatever too, and they're promoting them more and whatever. But you must understand that OVW is not uh, WWE's farm team anymore. No, no. And for for years and years and years, they they were the developmental uh, concourse for future WWE stars, you know. And, uh, but in the the meantime, it's been sold off for two or three times. And uh, actually Dave Hebner owned part of it at one time and, they're a great company. Don't get me wrong. I love OVW. I love Rip Rogers, and I love uh, Al Snow yes. and the head and the whole thing. Yes. But uh, <laughs> uh, this company that I'm with uh, really 
has diehard fans, and uh, KZW has been going for 11 years. That has a lot to do with it, too. Like I say, we work all over the state, and we work regular, and so the people are used to us, and they like what we do. And I'm not saying we're the greatest thing that ever landed in America, but as far as independent wrestling, I'm telling you, we've got talent that can go on par with any WWE wrestler, any wrestler, anybody. Mm -hmm. Our guys do everything and more that you see on a WWE show. Yes. You know, we don't have we don't have hillbillies that are barefooted and cut off shorts and no shirts running around trying to pretend they know how to wrestle. So in right. the meantime, uh, I got my uh, wrestler's license in Kentucky. You have to be licensed to be in these shows and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually now uh, I'm actually a licensed uh, wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, and the first time that I came out, uh, I had a confrontation with Johnny Swade. Uh, he's one of our uh, heels and one of our bad guys and. And so on. So the first thing I did was knock him down. I, I threw two sucker punches and knocked him to the floor. The people went ballistic over there. <laughs> nice. So I knew I was all the way in. Nice. Uh, you know, I, I'm knocking people down and, and coming in with an iron fist and taking the company over and straightening all this out and get rid of all this cheating. And, you know, the, the, the bad guys, they don't like it because I'm stepping on their toes and knocking them down and, and stuff. And right. I warned them. I said, I'm not afraid of any wrestler in this organization. Because I've been trained by one of Bruce Lee's five, which is true, one of Bruce Lee's five uh, Jeet Kune Do, uh, or Do, depending on how you, where you live and how you want to pronounce it. Bruce pronounced it both ways through his career. And I've been trained by those guys. I'm, I don't fear any wrestler in this organization, and I can stand up for myself. So the first thing after I said that, I knocked one of the main bad guys to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm having fun, you know, having a great time and, and got great guys to work with. And, and I want to thank Kentucky Zone Wrestling for asking me to just come and do a meet and greet start with and come in, and that forced me to come out of the woodwork and do what I'm doing. And now, look, I'm on your show and uh, doing a lot of other people's shows. And I'm just having a, a second wind in my lifetime. You know, it's really fun. And I love wrestling. And what can I say? You know, but that's, yeah. that's uh, how I got involved with Kentucky Zone Wrestling. Right. That's I love that man. I I definitely do love that. I think I think that's great, and I think it's fantastic, man. You're having you're having a fun time, and you yeah. you love doing it, and that's I love that. Now, one thing I've I've talked with you before before I got you on the on the show was when we were talking and stuff, and then I called you and I reached out to you about coming on, and. We had some conversations and stuff. And one thing I mentioned to you, on my way coming back, going and coming back from Tennessee last week, I took a little trip up there, back up to Tennessee. And on the way going up there and coming back, I listened to a lot of uh, Sirius XM, and I like to listen to the talk radio, and I was listening to volume. Well, one thing, one thing about volume was... I was listening to Eddie Trunk, which he was on that metal show, which was a really good show back in the day on VH1. We has a show on uh, he has a show on volume called Trunk Nation, and they were talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for 2019 nominees and stuff. And I don't know if you've you've heard anything about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for 2019, who they picked. A lot of people are okay with who they picked out for this year that was nominated, and a lot of people feel that artists and musicians who contributed a lot to rock and roll and to just in general just rock and roll 
a lot of artists got snubbed. Like one thing I could think off the top of my head was in the metal category, which would be Judas Priest. Someone even mentioned Duran Duran and uh, some other people like Thin Lizzy. Just you know, just getting the snubs. What what what's your thoughts? And about who has been nominated for 2019 in the Rockwell Hall of Fame. And I just want to mention, a lot of people think it's a joke this year's nominees. Well, the the criteria for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is not based on 87 million records sold. Right. It's not based on any of those. It's not based that you had 17 number one records. Yes. If you look closely, the criteria for... The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is the most unusual contribution to the industry. You know what? You know what is the unique? See, I said unusual. I meant unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's based on uh, a unique contribution to the industry. Yes. So I got to thinking about that, and I know what you're saying about those groups. I always love uh, Thin Lizzy. All those guys are fabulous, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got thinking if it's really based on on your unique contribution to the music industry and not it's not based on popularity though it looks like it you know right uh and they say that it's not based on popularity but it sure looks that way in a way mm-hmm. but i got to thinking if they're basing this stuff on on unique contribution i got to thinking wait a minute isn't not wrestling music a most unique contribution to to the uh, rock and roll music world Oh yeah, I would agree with That's you right what I there. Thought, and I got to thinking, wait a minute, what? I mean, let's face it, our our music was heard more than a lot of hit records because we were all around the world in 160 different countries, and and this music, this entrance music, is playing continually on mm-hmm. NBC, ABC, CBS, uh, cable syndicated, uh, on and on and on. And so I got to thinking, wait a minute, maybe, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe uh, Jimmy Hart and myself, maybe we might be contenders for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, uh, of course, Jimmy's in the uh, uh, WWE Hall of Fame as a manager, yes. but there's talk in WWE that, that I think that they're going to wind up inducting he and I in WWE Hall of Fame for our music contribution. Mm-hmm. There's talk of it. So I say for it's over with, we'll be in the WWE uh, Hall of Fame for our music. But I got to thinking, I think that we actually qualify for uniqueness uh, with all our wrestling uh, things. I, I, I would give anything to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, that would be my greatest dream come true. I mean, I would love to be in WWE Hall of Fame as well, don't get me wrong, but to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame would be just something beyond belief. But a lot of people think that you have to be the Rolling Stones or the Who yeah. or uh, popular people to be there, but it's not based on that. It's based on the the unique contribution of, to the industry of what your music did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that what we did with the wrestling entrance music is definitely viable in that category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I definitely do agree. It's like, why, why not? Because you contribute a lot and stuff. And... Your your music, I'd hate to say this. The people is gonna agree or disagree with me, but you know, I I don't care because I believe that wrestling theme music is played more than albums because you it hear is. it. You hear it, it definitely. Is. And I, I've more. got the proof here to prove it in the uh, the log sheets from 
you know, our performing rights society and everything. See, I was in charge of all our business stuff too. And right. I made all the deals for us and everything and kept up with everything on, on that. And the proof's in the pudding and it's right. I've got it right here. I mean, it's unbelievable. You wouldn't believe all the plays and all the digital downloads and digital plays. And it's just phenomenal. I, I can, I, I can believe it. I definitely could believe it. I, I got one little, one little story to tell you here that happened to me today. Talking about wrestling music. A friend of mine sent me a text, and it was a link to YouTube. So I was like, oh, no, what did he send me? As soon as I clicked on the link, it brought me to YouTube, and he sent me Booker T's theme music on YouTube there. I started laughing, and I responded back to him, and uh, I was like, can you dig it? And then I waited a little bit, and then he texted you back, and he was like, sucka. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's just stuff like stuff like that, man, is yeah. is just, you know, it, it shows right there, like, wrestling, wrestling theme music is played and streamed and downloaded more and stuff. There's times where I'm like, what is that one theme that I heard from that one wrestler? So I'd Google it or search it and lead me to YouTube or some streaming service. And I, I def definitely do agree that wrestling music is played more and listened to more than actual music and stuff. And it's I just, yeah. it's great. It definitely is great. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I guess I'll just leave that as that there before we wrap this up right here. I, mm -hmm. Real quick, I want to thank you. Before I ask you my two last questions here, I want to thank you for taking time out tonight and coming on. And I want to thank everyone viewing the stream here on twitch.tv slash podcasting network by tuning in listening to the true master of wrestling ring music, J.J. McGuire, Hurricane J.J. McGuire. I corrected myself there. <laughs> <laughs> right baby that's right <laughs> <laughs> now what can people expect coming from you in 2019 we're two more months man 2018 is come and gone 2019 two more months what can we expect from hurricane jj mcguire in 2019 oh all sorts of stuff i never give up and never quit it's just like uh, Roman Reigns said last night, and I'm sorry to hear about uh, his leukemia issue. My uh, uncle died of leukemia, and uh, but uh, you know we're going to keep fighting, and we're going to keep trying, and we're never going to give up. And I tell everybody, listen, yes. in your dreams, don't let anybody ever tell you you can't do anything. Uh, try to do everything that you want to try to do in your lifetime, because you only get one run at this, and might as well run hard. Like Honky Tonk Man told me the other night. He said, Jimmy, he said, we didn't think it would last that long, so we really put up extra stuff because we figured it wouldn't last that long. And look how wrong he was. It's still lasting. Yes. So, um, but at any rate, uh, back to answer your question further, uh, I've got a book coming out uh, next year. Uh, Jim Phillips of the Gorilla Position and Ryan Bowman, um, who's mastering the helm of that company. Uh, Jim is uh, interviewing me now. We're compiling information for my book that'll be out uh, probably next summer. Uh, it's called My Life in Heaven Town. And it's, it's a view not just of wrestling, but it's a view of my whole life of, 
you know, being in show business and then winding up in the gentries and having hit records and then moving to Hollywood and working for Glen Glen Sound Company and doing all the stuff for the movies and stuff and all the icons uh, that I met along the way, uh, Henry Winkler and, and uh, Farrah Fawcett and Jim Garner and all these people. And uh, it's a, really an overview of my uh, how I viewed the celebrities and how they are in real life because most fans don't get a chance to know the celebrities except just when they're in their character of what they do. But my book is going to be a retrospect of my life and my experiences in working for Bob Hope and uh, a lot of older icons and so forth. And then fast forward working with uh, Hulk Hogan and so on in WWE. But uh, the book will be out, like I say, sometime in the summer. So uh, when that gets ready to happen, uh, I would like to come back on the show and talk to you some more about some more of the things. But uh, these are just a few of the stories. I mean, I could talk on for 17 hours of, I think, stories that people would be interested in about their favorite wrestlers and their favorite movie stars and that sort of thing. So that book is going to be in uh, that sort of uh, context. And uh, we're compiling it right now. And uh, so I'm doing that. And then I've got a couple of screenplays that, I'm pitching in Hollywood and uh, oh, no uh, written with a friend of mine and uh, I'm working on that. And then I'm performing with KZW and then uh, I've got, I'm uh, putting a CD out uh, or a download or however you want to get it uh, next year of some newer material that I put together. And I also have a CD that uh, I just sell personally. It's called masters of the ring. And uh, there's three songs on it from the wrestling Boot band album. But, uh, also, there's other themes, an alternative theme that uh, Ric Flair wanted, but Vince didn't, at the last minute, Vince didn't want him to change the theme because people were so used to pomp and circumstance, like for Randy Savage. He, Randy wanted something different, yes. too. And the people were used to 2001 for Rick, so uh, Rick really wanted to change it, but Vince advised him not to, so uh, they didn't. But I've got a, a, a slew of some themes that were done that weren't ever released. And I've got Macho Man, oh, yeah, uh, singing, uh, oh, yeah. And he's <laughs> rapping on it, and uh, nobody's ever nice. heard that. That's uh, you know, that's from my private uh, stock of my private vault. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't have that for sale online because I knew if I did that, every country in America, here and between here and, and overseas would duplicate that and, and rip oh, me yeah. off on it. but. If yeah, you're willing yeah. to come, I'm going to be at the Richmond Comic-Con in Richmond, Kentucky on the 3rd of November. And anybody that comes and sees me personally, I give you a written letter of, of why the songs are written and what they're for. And uh, they're numbered. And uh, there's I've only printed up uh, 50 of those copies. So if you come and see me personally, I, I will sell you one of those and give you a personal letter and, and the signed picture and the whole thing of the Russian Duke band to go with it. Nice. And the whole thing, like a package. But yes. I'm not selling that online or anything for that reason. Mm -hmm. That's that's that is awesome, man. That is definitely awesome. You got a lot going on for twenty coming out in 2019. And where can people find? I want to throw ask you, where can people find more of Kentucky Zone Wrestling at? Uh, on Facebook, you can just go to Kentucky Z-O-N-E Wrestling, and uh, you can see pictures from the events and different things. Or you can also go to my Facebook page, John Maguire. That's M-A-G-U-I-R-E. And uh, I, I usually, uh, my, a lot of, some of the things we've talked about on there and different pictures and 
and all that. And I'd like to say that Andre was a great friend of mine. I was one of the few people privileged that Andre would allow into the dressing room uh, to be around when he's playing cards or whatever in the back. Uh, he's very strict about that, but he loved me because I'm also a magician and I would do card tricks for him. And Andre loved cards and he asked me to sit with his girlfriend in Cleveland one time. He didn't want the boys messing around, being around her. So he said, Jimmy McGuire, will you sit with my girlfriend? I don't want the boys messing around with her and blah, blah. I said, sure, Andre. And so Andre was really kind to me, and, and I missed Andre greatly. And I watched The Princess Bride the other night, and it really touched me to, to watch him. And uh, I, like I say, um, I'm just privileged. I always say this at the closing of my interviews. I always say this. I say, God gave me talent, so I took it to the greatest show on earth. I traveled the world with the greatest of all time. Entertained people of color in all walks of life. Who knew that wrestling is such a powerful force? I did. Nice. Thank you. Thank you so much, J.J. McGuire, for coming on tonight here. All my pleasure, Everett. It is awesome. All my pleasure. Thank you. Wrestling is one of the greatest forces. Uh, Next to God and Jesus, you got wrestling right there. You definitely do. You definitely do. You definitely do. And I want to thank you for coming on tonight. And I believe that is it for the Everett Lee Show podcast tonight. Before I sign off tonight, I want to mention that this Sunday, I will post the time on my Facebook page on Everett Lee Show on Facebook. And or and tweeted out on Twitter at the Everett Laura Squirrelly right there. Joe's viewing in. I want to thank everyone viewing in and listening tonight to this podcast. ELS Uncut, Robin Nilsson. I'm going to have Robin Nilsson on this Sunday to talk about him at the 70th anniversary of the NWA event that he went to this past weekend and of course david c russell of deathmatch russell podcast will be joining us too for els uncut we're gonna have a good time on that podcast and be true be sure to tune in on sunday for that as well and you can follow more everett lee again on facebook everett lee show on facebook and of course on twitter at the everett lore score lee and of course podcast city network over on podcastcity.net. You can check out the Everly Show, Robin Nilsson with Paranormal Files 13, and Russell Popcast, and, of course, David C. Russell of Deathmatch Russell Podcast. And you can check out the Imaginarium with Scott and Todd, Second Rounds, Florida and New York, Super Radio Brothers, and much, much more over on Podcast City Network, over on podcastcity.net. And, of course, Facebook, Podcast City Network, and on Twitter at Podcast City Net. And that is it. I am going to hit the outro music. Going to jump off here and going to get some sleep or get some rest and start a new day tomorrow. Everett Lee signing off. Thank you for tuning in tonight on this podcast. I will see you again next week for another episode of The Everett Lee Show. Peace.